Welcome to the third space. My name is Faiza Farah and I am your host. I am so grateful to be recording this podcast. Uh, we have a really exciting guest this week. And uh, before we get into our guest, I want to acknowledge the passing of uh, civil rights giant Congressman John Lewis has impacted um, so many of our lives and has gotten us closer to a more perfect union. And it is his vision, his heart, and his determination that makes uh, America the kind of country that is worth fighting for. Um, I was just looking at old speeches and uh, quotes uh, from John Lewis, and and I was really kind of shocked um, to re-listen to his speech um, for the March on Washington in 1963, and I thought it might be important to to pull a quote from that speech and share it with you all. This is 23-year-old John Lewis uh, during the March on Washington. It's the same march that Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his I Have a Dream speech. This is John Lewis. To those who have said, be patient, wait. We have long said that we cannot be patient. We do not want our freedom gradually. We want our freedom now. We are tired. We are tired of being beaten by policemen. We are tired of seeing our people locked up in jail over and over again. And then you holler, be patient. How long can we be patient? We want our freedom and we want it now. God bless you, John Lewis. Thank you for your service. We love you. We miss you. And um, and this, this episode is dedicated to John Lewis. So our guest today is Abina Bwama. She is a Ghanaian-American and the founder of Hana Hana Beauty. Hana Hana Beauty is an all-natural skincare and wellness brand with a mission to disrupt the global beauty industry. Um, Hana Hana Beauty primarily works with um, shea butter, and uh, I love her story. I think this is also why I love doing this podcast. I think our culture as a whole is obsessed with celebrity, and oftentimes there are giants among us um, that are doing work that's really compelling, and and their path is not a straight line and is oftentimes really windy, but what you'll hear in this episode are the many um, things that led to the moment that she started her business, and all of those things seem disconnected and unrelated but the way that life kind of works is you know those those life experiences although they appear to be unrelated end up being really useful um, when you are walking in your purpose so I hope you enjoy this conversation I enjoyed speaking with Abina um, please enjoy episode three
Wonderful. So thank you so much for being a guest. You are literally the third guest of our podcast. <laughs> it's it's so exciting to have you. And I've kind of been following your career from afar. We're friends on social media, and I've just been kind of following the progression of your career. And I really, really wanted to talk to you, not only because of your business that we'll get into a little later, but also just to hear about your origin story and to find out a little bit more about your background and how you got into your work. So I guess let's start there. Let's start from the beginning. Where'd you go grow up? Where are you from? Of course. Um, so one, I'm so excited to be on here too. Thank you for having me Yay. on. Um, so my name is Abna Wama, um, and I was so I was born in I, I was born in DC actually. I'm Ghanaian, um, I guess Ghanaian American. Yeah, Ghanaian American. Um, but yeah, honestly, I'm just Ghanaian to be honest. <laughs> but <laughs> my parents are Ghanaian. I lived in Ghana as a kid for like a little bit, um, and then I grew up basically like in Ohio, um, and. Yeah, I grew up in Ohio, went to school in Ohio, to college in Ohio, and I moved to Chicago after. Um, and then, I mean, with business and things, I've been living between Ghana and Chicago. Um, but mm -hmm. I come from a background of, like, education and clinical uh, mental health in that space. Like, I went to school for psych um, and math and then continued into, like, the education space and things like that. But... I mean, for me, as just a person, I'm just like all about, I would just say doing my best. I know that sounds so corny, but I think in like everything <laughs> that I've done, like, um, like from a kid or whatever, just always trying to like be the best, but it's never been like in comparison to anyone else. But I think it's always been in comparison to like what exactly the best means. Like, I don't, if that makes sense, <laughs> but just like a lot of quarantine reflection has been happening. Um, but yeah. <laughs> um, how was that living in Ohio, growing up there with your family? Yeah. So basically my, my parents, um, we like kind of just grew up in a Ghanaian household. Um, and I feel like it was like I went to a church that was Ghanaian. I like, but then I like grew up in the, like we grew up in the city, but then grew up in the suburbs. Really went to school in the suburbs, um, and it was like a very, I don't know. It was really interesting. I've been like talking with my brother like about our experience growing up because we had so much opportunity um, in the sense of like our parents always had us involved in things, um, and I just feel like my parents had me involved in things that I was really good at. <laughs> like I was involved in track. Um, I like, I was just doing like a lot of leadership stuff, but also like doing piano lessons and teaching piano. You know, I just was always doing a lot. Did they see those uh, things? Like, did they see those things in you and, and, and thought let's nurture it? Or did they just intuitively know what you were good at or what you were going to be good at? I think it was like both. Like I remember like my as a kid, I still remember this. My brother was doing like a lot of sports um early. Like I'm talking about like first grade and I wasn't doing um 
any like sports at that time. But then like I like I was just doing like dance. But I think they just were like, okay, since your brother's doing sports, we'll let you now do sports too in the beginning. <laughs> You know, like, because I'm just thinking, because I just remember being like, why am I only doing dance? Like, I can do basketball. Like, you know, I wanted to be just like my brother, honestly. Um, So they, like, really got us into athletics. I think not on the basis of, like, you're going to be a basketball player or anything, but more so, I mean, maybe a little bit, to be honest. Like, we were pretty good at things. So, you know, everyone's parents thought someone was going to go to, like, the NBA or something. Um... But I feel like it was more so they would just see that I was really good and stuff and um, and keep letting me in it. Like, my dad was a pianist. Um, he's a mathematician also. <laughs> so, like, very smart man um, who mm-hmm. just, like, wanted us to play the piano. Like, I don't know. It just seemed like things worked. Like, we wanted to do it and they wanted us to be active. And we were, like, choosing the sports that they also wanted us to be a part of. Because I remember, like, I wanted to do volleyball. And my mom was like, oh, no, those shorts are too short. <laughs> but then I was like, I ran track <laughs> all the way into college. So <laughs> it just sounds oh, no. like something, you know, an African parent would say, yes. like, um, <laughs> You you cannot play that sport just based on what the outfit looks like, you know. Right, right. <laughs> That's yeah, really exactly. why there's not a lot more Africans playing tennis. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if you just like look at like some of the even the <laughs> no, you're so right though. Like there's just certain sports where like that's why we're not there because our parents won't let us, you know, like because of shorts. Um, but yeah, no, it was just like very much. I feel like I had that experience that. Um, some people will definitely like relate to of like being that it's really interesting because I felt like growing up elementary wise, I was like pulled out for like not being able to read the best or something or because like speech, because she was my first language and then I learned English. Um, but they were always trying to like pull me out in that space of like, Oh, you need speech or, or you can't read and stuff like that. But then it was like, I was really excelling in math. So I became that student, like, you know, in high school that you're the only black girl in this place and you're experiencing that and having that, you know, experience. But I feel like I just, I don't know. It was a really, growing up in Ohio was really interesting. <laughs> I don't know how else to yeah, well, it. it. It also sounds like your parents were developing really confident children, which is really, really hard to do yeah. when you live in areas that are maybe predominantly white or or in a society that is constantly giving messages to brown black and brown kids that they're not worthy that they're not mm-hmm. enough and mm-hmm. for your parents to be able to kind of guide you and cuz cultivating confidence is like it's in the doing so it's like your parents had you guys doing so much yeah. that you just developed this confidence and that's pretty special Yeah, no, it definitely, you're so right. I mean, when I think about confidence, honestly, I think of my mom. And I even just think, like, my brother is very confident. I feel like we were, like, you know when it's, like, people try to question you of, like, why are you so confident? I feel like that's what I would get more so. But then it was, like, they would understand it because we're actually so good at certain things or whatnot, right? But, like, confidence was, 
It's like, I remember when telling my brother once, I was like, oh, like, boys don't like me because I'm not pretty. And this was like as a, like a little kid. <laughs> and my brother like yelled at me and was like, if you say that, I'm going to tell mommy. Like, it was like a thing, like you can't wow. look down on yourself. And so I think ever since then, I was just like, oh, like anything, whatever I was being told in school, like it was confusing. It was like confusing to be made fun of, to be honest. It was just like, but actually I know I'm like beautiful and like all these things. And like, I know that, you know, I should be confident because I've never seen my mom like shake. And the one time I've tried to even like say something, my brother was like, how, like, don't like, it's like trouble to like look down on yourself, you know? Um, so that, I feel like that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just such a beautiful lesson because it's like, yeah, you're, you're, you, what your brother is teaching you in that moment is to not even allow yourself to give life to any of those disrespectful and harmful and toxic thoughts and ideas that aren't your own, but really are projections from other people onto you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, it's so, it's so, beautiful to hear of like a family structure that really supports and protects that space for someone, you know? Yeah. That's really, really, really beautiful. What city in Ohio were you, were you raised? We were in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. <laughs> um, in Pickerton. <laughs> like I swear to you, you know, the show Saturday Night Live, not Saturday Night Live, yes. Saturday Night Lights or whatever, like the football show. Oh yeah. I like yeah, yeah, yeah. I always tell people that was like almost our high school. Like I feel like that's wow. how our high school was, but with a lot more black athletes, a lot more like um diversity probably. Wow. But it was one of those schools that it was like you see all these kids so much like you when you like when you think right now of like when you go back, you're like, wow, all of us were going through so much. Like our neighborhood was such this like it was, it was a really cool neighborhood because we, it, as like, you know, when we moved there, it was because my parents um, obviously wanted us to move out of the city or just have more room and, you know, more opportunity. And it was like a neighborhood that a lot of immigrant families were moving also into the summer, suburbs and a lot of black families were also living into the suburbs. But like, when we look at our town right now, it's like they literally cut through a street and said half of the kids on this side have to go to this school and half of the kids have to go to this school. It was like, it was in the middle of nowhere and it just split up so many different friendships and black, like children, literally one street goes here and makes a few rivals. So it's like, it's been really wow. interesting to look back at how we grew up Um And especially when I was a teacher, like, you know, in Chicago, looking back at how I grew up and the amount of privileges I had just going to suburban school and now being a teacher in Chicago, it's just, I feel like I'm always reflecting back to those experiences. Right. Because it's, it's so random. Like you said, you, it was a random line and, and, and then, I mean, I guess now that we know with housing policies that maybe what might've not been so random. Exactly. Right. (laughs) But, but it it does feel like you, you like win the, the lottery of whatever zip codes you're, you're, you live in. And then based on that, you're deemed worthy of, of having an education that has such a huge impact on your life. You know, um, I'm, I'm curious about, 
um, how the young budding athlete turned <laughs> academic. <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> and um, why psychology so... and math? I mean, I guess math makes sense because of your father, but yeah. but how did psych come into the mix? And and when did you say goodbye to to sports and and hello to to academia? Yeah. Okay. So it's like been always. So I like feel like I was that the Ganyan kid that like I first of all I love pleasing my parents like most African children. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, but um, I like I swear when I was growing up I wanted to be a brain surgeon. Like I was on it. Like my dad is really influential to me. I as I like do a lot of reflection too of like the types of things that I've been really much interested in. You know. Um, and I remember, like, uh, yeah, I was really much into the brain. And I think I went into high school um, taking a psych class. And then I was like, oh, this is, like, way more interesting. And I'm really interested in helping people and the mind. And it's basically the brain. You know, like, it's even inside the brain. It's mm. more. Um, mm. So, and when I went to, I was actually quite really good in track in um, high school and in college. But I was, like, number two in our state in um for high jump so I had the opportunity to go to a d1 school and had like full scholarships but my parents were so focused on education and not having college like the only reason why I go to college is because of athletics and because I had the opportunity of getting also academic scholarships too um I decided to go to a liberal arts school so I feel like being at a liberal arts school, I'm able to, I was able to do like all American, like do all those types of stuff with track and go to nationals. But I was able to really focus in and like fulfill this passion of like how to help people. Like, I think that was my, like medicine was my way, right? Like, how, oh, like obviously mm. physically you want to help someone with touch or as a kid, my first job was literally teaching piano um, because I took piano since I was like five. And by the time I was in high school, my teacher was helping me like take on some of her small students. So I was like always wow. thinking about how do you help people? And in college, I was like, oh my gosh, psychology. And if I do math, maybe I can be a teacher. Like, I think that is like, or I can go into academia because I was just like seeing how like the only way to like change things I thought was through, you know, go get your your master's and go get your PhD. And I mean, that was the route that I was on. Um, I did everything but going into my PhD because uh, of Hana Hana. But that's like, I feel like every decisions that I've been making have been how do I kind of help people the way I want to? Because I even coached track at UIC, like University of Illinois, Chicago, for a year mm. after I graduated college. So it was like, I feel like I was just, my parents, we, my brother and I always say this, that like our parents literally like molded us to be like very independent and multifaceted creative people. And then they're like, why are you so creative sometimes? <laughs> Like, why do you guys want to do these jobs that are not, like, you know, structured? But now they're like, okay, we see it. Like, we did this. Right, right. And God, what a blessing because, you know, the the piano, which is, like, developing so many different parts of your brain and your creativity, then turns into, you know, a way for you to make some money as a kid and... And yeah. uh, opens the 
world of teaching to you and 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 seeing that like teaching is an opportunity to help uh, and to be of service i mean like all these all these things that they instilled in you have like shown up in your life in such real ways it's really really beautiful um and what was your i'm, I'm very just curious about mm-hmm. your your track life um oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what was your what was your competition um so i was jumping my highest was 510 um so i, was wow. my I know is that hilarious I, oh it's god. so funny oh my god <laughs> it's so funny to think about the fact that like i was actually like, this big like an athlete um oh my god <laughs> but i like forget about that life that like you know, I was low key, I was popping. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. and it just seems like you've had like so many, so many lives. This is what this is what I love about coming of age and like flowering in this moment yeah. in time where we're not our parents' generation where you like pick a career path and you kind of stick to it and you have a job or like a career job for X amount of years. Because like, if you, if you grew up at, in any other time, you would not be able to really like, like express all of these aspects of, of your, not only your personality, but your talents and your capacity as a person and, and your capabilities and your mind. I mean, all of those things think like, math track and field piano <laughs> entrepreneurship a beautiful model um <laughs> just like you know it's it's so it's, random it's, really, it's like but it's not though it's, right because it all makes sense right yeah <laughs> so, yeah because it's all within you and and yeah. you have all of those aspects of of yourself so that's pretty that's pretty impressive i guess after you graduated um with a master's in psychology I'm I'm assuming Mm -hmm. yeah I did that when I was teaching so like for I didn't go right to do my master's after college because I was like no there's no way (laughs) there's no way I can do that I need to get some work experience so like I was um I was a (laughs) this is how I was coaching because I was like a program director at University of Illinois their um help clinic so their hyperactive and attention like behavioral clinic Mm. and running a treatment Mm. program there so it was like I was very very young but I had this high position (laughs) um which was a really interesting experience to be like working in a space that I was like yes I'm doing what I want to do. I did all these internships. I did all these things. And now I have this position and I'm supposed to have this authority and I'm working with, you know, these amazing researchers that I've used before. Um, But it was just, it was a very hard experience because I was the only black person there. I was the youngest person there and I was working with white women. And it was just, I didn't realize how toxic it was until like I like left um but I was supposed to do it for like two years um and the grant that I had what made it what made it uh what made it so toxic it was like you know when you, you know when you're in a space and you know you're supposed to be there um and you're doing like I was so I was the youngest but I would hire interns so I hire interns to run mm. this huge program at the end at the summer where it's literally working with kids um, that have behavioral issues and implementing um, 
behavioral structures to help them out and working with their parents, everything. And as a college student in undergrad, I had the opportunity to be an intern myself at the Cleveland Clinic with it um, and had also opportunities in Chicago. So that's how I was able to get hired on. So I had experienced all of these different positions um, to actually get to the position that I've been at as an intern. Um, and so like as an intern, though, you could be a graduate student also. <laughs> so it's like me, okay. I'm your boss, and I'm not even a graduate student, and I just graduated from undergrad, and I'm your boss. That's gonna, it, and I'm a black woman, and you're like in your 20s, you know, and you're a PhD right. student. It's gonna be a lot of like, okay, sure, <laughs> I'm gonna listen to you, you know? Um, like, it's just gonna, they're gonna listen to me because that's it, but it was a lot, you know? Um, and just like the right. women that I was working with, it was like I was going into the suburbs as much as in the city. And it's like, you are, you're seeing all these resources that you can give to people. You know, I'm learning so much about the testing, I'm right in the medical, like in the medical units, everything. And it's like, I'm unable to help certain parents and those people look like me because they don't have the insurance and I'm, but at the same time, I'm like having to battle a white woman talk to me about my hair and how I need to change my photos or, you know, like all these different things that it's like your first job out of undergrad and you're like, wait, what? (laughs) And why am I feeling so sad? Like, this is, this is very interesting uh, to feel this way when I'm supposed to be doing the work that I want to be doing, you know, and I'm working so hard to not only do this work because I want to go and help people, but also when you have this mindset of like, I need to be on this track record to get to this. And I need these people to say, yes, she did a really good job. So you can get your PhD recommendation or, you know, whatever that is. Right, right, right. But it was like, it was a blessing to actually for them to like take my second year that I was going to go into it, um, they let me know that they no longer have the grant to pay for my position, which I'm always just like, okay. Uh, <laughs> but that's when I started teaching right. and teaching allowed me then to, you know, also um, go into my, my master's and look at counseling psychology. Teaching also drove me to be stressed enough to make shea butter. So <laughs> it's like, it all well and and I also wonder if that experience as like your first kind of substantial job really like maybe tainted your experience of working for other people you know Uh, or working in a position where you're not uh, like the ultimate or the final voice I know in my life that's been mm-hmm. kind of the most traumatic parts of it where like you know you're you're this young uh person full of energy and you're whip smart and you're disciplined and hardworking, and then you come against you rub up against an energy that's really resistant to you not because you're not capable or mm-hmm. or your ideas aren't uh compelling but simply because you are a black woman you know yeah. and and for me, when those things came up in my my life and my career, I I was always like so shocked by them, and I don't know why, but it was yeah. like always came at such a surprise to me because I always thought like the the best ideas 
rise to the top and oh, yeah. and you're around people that are rational and and would put aside ego for mm-hmm. for whatever thing makes us cross the finish line first you know and then when you come across that energy it's like whoa what? that's <laughs> you're confused yeah i mean in all of those jobs though that i had like in the education system in the medical Field, what I started to realize at the, you know, at the end and everything, and after being done with my master's and still working, was that it's never the children. It was never the children. It was never the actual like work, you know, um, of why I didn't want to do a job. It was always the administration, and the reason why it was wow. always the administration was because. It's like when you point out something like, okay, we're doing good. I'm not, I mean, I would never say that the school that I went to was not a good school, like um, taught out was not a good school. But it was like, okay, we're doing good, but we're not, we can do better, right? Like we can do better. We're not solving all the problems. There are issues. Let's solve those issues. And it's like when you point out that the issue has to do with race or you think that it may have to do with race or that you think they should be focusing on something else or you know it just there's just so much fight back and I and I honestly for me it was like I'm tired of working for something or doing something in a space that says they're supposed to be doing this but it's so hard for me as a black person to actually fulfill the mission right like I think as right now as an entrepreneur every time when I'm I get so I'm so passionate about calling not exactly calling other brands out, but being very transparent and calling out like the beauty industry and things is because like we are plastering these missions, like America plasters a mission, but we don't fulfill it, you know, like, and I think as a, like for me, I'm just, I'm so tired of it because it, it goes from like, that's like a school has the mission to educate everyone right. To educate the people that come into the doors and make them be their most successful self. But like, why is there such thing even called a school to prison pipeline? Like that means right. that it's not doing the mission. Like teachers, as a teacher, I understood that if a student doesn't understand something the way that I'm teaching them, that means I need to figure out a new way to teach them. It doesn't mean that they don't know how to learn in this classroom. It just means that the way that I'm teaching them does not. Maybe it has to end up needing some more help or whatever, but just because someone doesn't get it right away doesn't automatically mean dumb or if they don't understand something through a test, they, they can't pass. Like, I just feel like there had to be this restructure of education. And I was just realizing like, you know, through my experiences teaching, it was like experiential learning is so important. We were pushing this all the time with our students, right? Like that's part of our mission. Mm. Um, and giving kids opportunity, but we weren't fully hearing them when they wanted to tell you the type of experience they wanted to have to learn. Right. And I was just like, well, I mean, if I'm going to build a brand, because I obviously was starting to build this as I was teaching, it was like, I'm going to make sure that people understand what it means to actually have experiential learning, like learning from yourself, learning from putting on Shay, learning from like, the internet like you know in all things it could be a learning experience so let's just be very intentional about like creating that um yeah sorry I was like long way <laughs> no 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 it it made me it made me think about what you were saying earlier uh about you know just how 
the way your family sees you versus how, you know, people, maybe bullies at school or even some of your teachers, you were excelling in math, but then also having issues uh, with reading or, or whatever. And maybe that experience allowed you to see that if someone isn't testing at a certain level, or if if they're having a challenge in one aspect of their education, it might mean that they are, you know, understimulated, oh, bored, yeah. unchallenged versus being, you know, uh, it, it, like just incapable or yeah. disruptive or, or, you know, needing of, of discipline, you know, mm-hmm. like this, these kind of punitive ways that we, we address education versus yes. that mission that you were talking about. And I guess this is why this particular time is so exciting to me because there's that, to me, like that Karen energy that we're mm-hmm. all like, talking about right now shows up in our workplace. Oh yes. Those and, are your teachers. Just <laughs> absolutely. They're your yeah. they're your colleagues. They're they're your bosses. They're the front desk reception or the 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 assistant to the CEO that like they're they're people that that have kind of obstructionist energy, you know, of uh, when, when they can't, con- when they're not fully in control of a situation, you know? Um, and, and there, and to me, that energy really obstructs progress. And, and like you said, that there's, there is a mission. I mean, even like the constitution of the yeah. United States is, and, and the bill of rights is like our highest ideals. And it, and it, it took, civil rights activists that were in their 20s to say like, hey, I, I'm coming to cash that check that was promised to all of us, you know, yeah. that this is the mission. And I believe so deeply in this mis- mission that I'm willing to put my life on the line to make sure that we all have those things. And and I think what's so exciting about this particular time is that there's a, there is a kind of reckoning that's happening with old systems, yeah. you know? Yeah, and it sounded I mean, like you were you you were coming across that energy even even in you know in the early parts of your career. Yeah, I mean, I think with a, I mean, you hit it right on the dot, right about my experiences because if you look at I had so I have a very high anxiety general generalized anxiety disorder and like it definitely was a format into testing. Um, especially, I always tell people like. I was very smart. I did really great in tests, but I had to study. I had to like really learn about the fact that like what test anxiety was like, you know, like navigating and understanding that like anxiety dismantles your way of learning. Right. Like that was uh, Mm. something that I had to realize. And then, you know, it was kind of just this understanding, but then obviously when you go and study it, those words are literally written to you and told you, you know? So as I was teaching and I was using my experiences and also, you know, in grad school, it was just like, I'm doing all this at the same time. I'm seeing children that look just like me that literally are experiencing these things that I experienced as a child. And one of the only reasons why I had the opportunity that I wasn't placed in a speech class for like, all of my life or whatever just because of one teacher was because my parents were so on it and it's like i'm working in lower income areas where i understand that the parents are working and doing this and maybe not as involved and like as a teacher it was just like 
I fully understood that the role of a teacher is really to mold a child's mind. I'm with a child for seven hours. Like, and I just started being like, wow, all these teachers that I've had in the past, <laughs> like, you know, and all these teachers around right. me are not like, are we really doing what we're saying we're supposed to be doing? Because if we mm. think about it, our history teachers were lying to us because they were they had the access to books to know exactly the truth and not tell me that Abraham Lincoln is the only reason why black people were free. Like they had the access right. to give me all these information of actual history, um, as much as they have this access to give you penalties and demerits and you know, give you a detention and give you whatever and figure out the best way to you know, do all those things. And it's just like, we really need to restructure this education system. Like, how is it that I'm a teacher that's spending all these hours, I'm not getting, I may be getting leadership and stuff from my admin, you know, to make sure I'm doing test scores right, or even change how I'm looking at teaching or whatever. But like, am I really being represented um, to fulfill what it means to mold teachers, like mold a child's mind? Because I mean, I was a teacher and I right. never got paid over 42K. And that's crazy. Wow. And wow. yeah, and I was a, like, I was a coach. I was doing projects. I was teaching an algebra class. I, you know, I was an advisor. And it's like, are we really creating an educational system that's sustainable one to like actually have good teachers? Like not just a couple good teachers, not just 40% of good teachers, like 100% accountability of what it actually means to be a good teacher and are we like actually building a sustainable education system that is you know educating our black and brown children at the end of it like are we educating like at the same level of uh, like you know there's just and I think being in Chicago teaching really allowed me to put things in perspective because I definitely could have went a blinded eye not really understand what's going on like 2020 could have been my a full day of like understanding and realization of like what black lives matter and things like that. And I think a lot of people are going through that because they really haven't seen those experiences and seen it hands in of how these systems, like how a detention can turn into a child actually being in a juvenile detention center. You know what I mean? Like what does that mean? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And having, and having, more, I mean, oftentimes schools don't have um, therapists or psychologists at their school, but they'll yeah. have like two or three police officers, you know. I mean, it's like yeah. even the school that I was a therapist at when I was in grad school, like finishing off my grad school, it was like I was the therapist. <laughs> like I was in it, like, you wow. know, I had a supervisor and everything, but it was like the social worker that would come there, she has to go to several other schools or like, you know, a nurse doesn't come to our school every day. So are my students only supposed to have stomach aches on Wednesday? Like, <laughs> why am I a nurse? <laughs> you know? Right. Like, you right. know? Right. Yeah. So it's, it's just, it's honestly, Gosh. it's not fair. It's not fair at all. I guess this would be a good time to uh, to talk about how you got into the world of skincare and Hana Hana Beauty. What inspired the idea? How did you go from being a teacher slash uh, therapist slash coach slash <laughs> academic to to the founder of Hana Hana Beauty? Um. So I, you know, it's so funny. I was working with 
one of my really, really good friends and also living with her. And we were both in the education space. And she, her stress thing was baking. Like, that's what she was like. I, I bake a lot like <laughs> because it's just from education <laughs> and I kind of found mine. It was like, I, I mean, I just was really involved with my students of like, how can I do this? And it was a lot. And that was making shape. That was kind of my thing too. So it was more so inspired by like, just a level of stress. <laughs> my students being like, mm. I remember I was talking to my students all the time about what they're putting in their bodies because they love hot Cheetos. And so I was on this whole mission um, to let them know how terrible it was. So I like started looking up ingredients. And so my students were like, well, do you look up ingredients and in everything? Like, you know, because <laughs> they were hurt because I told them about the yellow dye and hot Cheetos. <laughs> I was like, what is yellow five, y'all? <laughs> um, but um so yeah that kind of took me to being like oh yeah let me look what's actually in palmers you know um and i think it was just right. that day where i was like oh i could i grew up with shay like my mom made shay like i have shay like i can do oh, really these things that you know because you know as a ghanian i think any ghanian has a tub of shay underneath someone in their old house, their house that they started. <laughs> because that's like what your parents bring right. over anytime you travel. If anyone's coming, bring them some good like in kuto, you know, and like your my mom wasn't like whipping it and anything, but she was just like melting it down a little, putting some cloves and it was like that's what you use. So I, I remember when I started, it wasn't even like I had to buy anything off Amazon. It was like I literally looked, I was like, I think I have some somewhere because my mom always used to send me just raw shay and I just found it and then started learning like you know looking at these videos and different things and I was just like yeah I can do this like I can learn how about this like this is cool you know and so I just I never thought of it as a business plan I more so was just like really got interested in it and started with shay but then started looking at the different other butters and you know, like the, how you can make it. Oh, you can make your own body wash, your lip balms. Um, so that was kind of cool, you know, like I did that for a couple of years. But I think when I started learning about how Shea was made, then I was like, oh, this is, this is a whole different thing. Um, you know, and when I made the decision to actually start the business, like, I mean, Hana Hana, my dad's the one who came up with the name with me. Um, like I said, I love my parents' approval. So <laughs> as much as I like love doing my own thing, if I can make sure that my parents love it, then, you know, I'm very much my own independent. And my, my parents will tell you, like, she loves our approval, really. Um, but <laughs> I do, I do. <laughs> And do when it comes yeah. to business and all these things, you know. So I was just like letting them know. I was like, yeah, I'm going to start a business. I just want you to know, you know. They're like, okay, cool. Yeah, like you should do it with, you know. Um, so my dad and I kind of came up with the name together. And um, I think he even, he made the first label. He was really excited. I always tell people, my dad, if like, oh, hopefully nothing that happens to me, of course, but like my dad would run the company if he could. Like he <laughs> loves it so much. And it's like, he's just like, yeah, why not? You know? Um, so yeah, and what, from there, it just what went on. What did you learn? What did you learn when you 
when the more you started kind of investigating not only what was in the products you used to um, put on your skin, but when you started to kind of learn how how to use shea butter and and um, what is the what is the the is it is it chi the the chi term is it in kuto mm-hmm. in kuto in kuto yeah in kuto, in kuto. Mm-hmm. so how like what were some of the things that you were, you were learning just by virtue of of doing it for a couple of years in your home in your kitchen it was like so it, it became like a science because it was like food it was honestly i tell people it's like cooking right like when i don't if i didn't i did not have any beauty background so it was more so i was learning very much on the let me learn about the benefits of these products and what do I need to like correct my skin? I've never had really bad skin, to be honest. Like I like grew up with, you know, some really good jeans. Shout out to my parents. But <laughs> Chicago winters were terrible. Um, and I was so dry and I was like, my skin was actually really bad. So I would just start like literally there's like a bunch of like, if I have my old notebooks. There'll be lists probably of like, okay. This is the areas that are wrong with my skin. Here are the different oils. Oh, this gives avocado, proteins, builds proteins for your hair. Like, you know, um, like looking at that and like breaking it down of like, if I want to make a soap, then I would need this. Or if I wanted to make um, something for my hair and I wanted to focus on this, then I should do that. If I want to make the best body butter, um, let me add this, let me add that. So I would just like test it and it would just be like, I make one batch It'll last maybe for like three months. And so then I'll make another one. But then I started like being like, I want to make it more, you know, Um, and just like Mm -hmm. would give it out to my friends. So then it would be like, okay, I have to actually start making batches a couple more because everyone's like, oh, when you make that next batch, can I get some too? Um, And my parents, like I, I made it for like almost three years without starting a business. My parents had said something to me. I think almost every boyfriend that I had during that time said something to me about like turning it into a business, like my friends. And I was just like, no, like I want, like, I don't want to have a business. Like I really want to be in academia. Like I want to be like a professor and a PhD and like work and build a school and like not a school, but like a community center. And that's like, that was my big focus and things like that. So I just never really thought of it as this is actually my way to do that. And that's kind of what I crafted as I started Hana Hana was like, you know, my exit plan out of education, right. Or my exit plan when I was, um, when I knew I was coming to graduate from my master's program, I knew when I was leaving my master's program that I was not going to go into therapy the way that my family thought I I was going to utilize my master's. Um, I knew that I was going to be right. utilizing it in the way through Hana Hana. Um, so I, I just like, I really was, you know, trying to be very strategic about like, well, how do I kind of tell again, my parents <laughs> that like, it'll be all right. Y'all are like, you know, getting hype about this. But the reason why my master's was not a waste is because I'm still going to utilize it in the space, you know? And they, they like went along with it because I was kind of like, I'm going to Ghana. I need to learn more about the women behind Shea. I'm going to do this work. I set up, I was doing my therapy in Ghana for a couple months too, you know, um, and then it was like oh, wow. full throttle. <laughs> 
And so you get to Ghana and had you spent much time in Ghana post leaving as, as a young person? I, yeah, I had went back as I started going back as an adult, right. When I started Hana Hana. Um, so before I moved to Ghana, I had like, I think in 2017, I went to Ghana twice. <laughs> like I was in Ghana for a, like mm. for like um, I think maybe like three weeks, and then I did like Ghana for like four weeks. Um, and that first trip was when I met um, our producers that we continue to source from to this day. Um, and I, that's oh, when wow. I think I got more so engulfed because I was like, "Wow, I'm meeting." the women that are making these raw materials that I've been studying and using and like they make this with their body, with their hands, with like from the farm to literally mm. just like they're using their body to whip things. And like, you know, I, and that's when I was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> so, so what is shea butter? Um, where, where, where does it come from? Mm-hmm. What are the origins? How, how, like, what is, explain the, the pipeline from, from, I guess, uh, tree to, mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, into a cont- Hanahana container. Of course. Yeah. So basically shea butter comes from, um, the shea tree, um, and it's actually a fruit. Um, so the fruit, the seed inside the fruit is what you end up changing um, into shea butter. So um, basically you have your farmers, your pickers, they're picking the seeds, making sure the seeds are good. The pickers then sell the seeds to the producers. So the producers are... And those are the women that you're working with in Ghana. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're, we like know that process of who the pickers are and like the farmers, because they kind of work all within each other. Um, And... Um, yeah, so our the producers then what they will do is they'll gather the seeds. Um, you will then um, break down the seeds. You'll roast the seeds. Sorry, you'll roast the seeds first um, to soften them enough to break them down. Um, and then after actually breaking them down, which they used to have to do by rock before there was machinery, literally pushing a seed down to like mush it. Um, but now they use a machine to basically grind it down where. It, the seed itself becomes like mush. So it allows the extraction of oil. Um, you know, uh, that's what the heat does. It allows the oil to actually like, um, come out. I'm saying like not the most scientific way, but I'm trying my best. Um, but, um, so yeah, so once they do that mush part, they have to then add hot water to it and they, if you do not have a kneading machine, which most cooperatives, not all cooperatives have, but that's like a very big push. Like that's something that we're working on with our cooperative to be able to raise money for um, kneading machines. Um, because what then the women have to do is use their whole, like, if right now, if you put your arm up, like um, an L shape, almost like your elbow is 90 degrees, they, and you mm-hmm. whip your arm down, that is what the women are doing, as if like you're like um, almost like a fan or something. The women are. Using I'm literally whole, doing the motion doing right, right now. Yeah. Wow. So imagine doing that through a big bunch of shea for thirty to forty-five minutes, or almost sometimes wow. an hour, where you basically are using your body to then have the shea. Um, I always forget this the right word for it, but it separates. Um, 
so much because you've whipped, they've whipped it so much that the water then separates and like the shea itself fluffs almost up. It's a whole different color. Like it starts off brown and it turns out white. That's how much they're using that energy to knead it. And that white then is what um, is like your shea and they then boil it and it boils it down to shea oil. So once you boil it down to shea oil, the filtration, you know, to make sure they're filtering out the dirt and everything. Um, And then they let it sit to turn into shea butter. Um, and it's, it's a whole process. And this was tradition, you know, first before consumerism and anything, it was making, like they were introduced, if I'm saying it correctly, um, history wise, don't, (laughs) don't like, you know, on me, but, um, I think what was told that there was also a German missionary that came during that time that was learning about shade from the women and they were showing them like, Oh, you can use it in these different ways. Um, and so mm. that's kind of how, you know, the women were learning more about it, doing, you know, it in their own house and in their own homes. And it was a family tradition. It was like, you make it at home, you teach your children how to make it. Everyone learns how to make shay um, in the North too. This is not all of Ghana. This is more of a Northern area of why people were making shea because it was so hot um and you know it was also so hot and so dry in Tamale especially during Hamatan season uh-huh. so it's like what people were using um and shea even has like um I think to the power up to six six to eight um of SPF so it was something that people were using to protect themselves. Um, even my mom would tell me like when she was growing up, she's like, I didn't even use Shea because I didn't think we needed to use it until I realized like I should be using it. Um, you know, so it was this thing that it was just like, it's for the people in the North. It's not for everything else. But I mean, Shea butter is in like over 75% of all beauty products. So it's definitely, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. In, wait, in Ghana dancing. or just in general? In globally, globally. Whoa. Yeah. And wow. Yeah. And the numbers go crazy when you start to look at the money and how much like it's over a billion dollars network. But yet the women that are making it are making like almost, almost under um, you know, two dollars for like a kilo of shea. Um oh so it's God. like how what is this translation? Like it, it for me I was just starting to be very like, you know, mind boggled because it was like I remember when I was going to Ghana the first time again as an adult, my dad was like, oh, you should go to the more of the, you know, the factories and things like that if you really want to find shea. But then I realized that the factories were going to the women to get the shea to send it to the factory, (laughs) you know? So it was like, no, I need to just go straight to the women. Um, And it was like, you go there and you see that they're not living a sustainable lifestyle. And it's not that they don't know that they're not living a sustainable lifestyle. They know it. But none of the brands that they're working with are really talking about it in the way that they're looking at sustainability. Like, there's obviously a lot of brands that go in and build schools, and I'm that's amazing. It's exciting, you know, and building health centers and doing all that. But it's like people want to be like they want to live a sustainable life. Like, you know, they want to enjoy too. They want to have good income and not worry about their health. And Absolutely, have ha- access to health care. And, you know, all those things. So they, they enjoy their work. They actually want to continue working, but they don't want it to be this difficult, <laughs> you know. Well, um, and, and it shouldn't be this exploitative, especially exactly. if they're they're having this body labor that then gets extracted and 
and then people can flip corporations and individuals can flip that body labor that they put in to make, you know, a hundred X to a thousand X, 2000 X of what, what they were ever being paid for. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's exploitative. It's, it's like the same kind of extractive stuff that has been going on uh, in the continent. I mean, when I think about Ethiopia and the coffee bean and Mm -hmm. what it represents to our culture and how important the coffee bean has been. But when you think about like, like the number of black roasters or Mm -hmm. black coffee, black owned coffee companies, I mean, forget about Ethiopian, just like black owned coffee companies. It's gotten to the point where it's so like, so far removed that like coffee culture is, is like relegated to like some hipster shit or or like, Italian espresso, you know, mm-hmm. when when Ethiopia has like over three thousand varietals of the coffee, like bean, and which proves that that's the origin mm-hmm. of 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 coffee, yeah. and so it's 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 maddening. It's maddening, and I guess that's probably why you were probably compelled um, to to create Hana Hana Beauty. What what was the motivation for you? What what made you feel like okay, I, I'm enjoying creating. I'm learning more. I've now connected with people that are producing um shea butter and and i want to now take a step to create a business what what uh how how did that idea kind of come about and and how did you move from just kind of you know consuming and and making for friends and family to actually having a bona fide business i think it was just like I think a lot of people were telling me to do it. I think I like, I realized I was in a space, you know, where all this stuff was going on. Like 2016 was such a rough year for so many people. Um, I mean, president, like I mean, Trump, everything, all these things. Right. But since we, it was like not a really rough year for me, <laughs> like personally, like it was, but it wasn't. And I was like, I was introduced to black girl gnome that year. So I was finding as all these tough things were going on, like I was finding these spaces of like black women doing things, you know, like what they mm-hmm. wanted to do. And I was also like already doing something. So it was just like, Oh wait, this is weird. Why am I not? Why didn't I know about you guys before? Like what? Like, you know, like I was in this mm-hmm. space where I was so, so focused on academia and like teaching and like, you know, grad, like all that type of stuff. And then it was like this creative, like, space that I was finding myself in I was still a teacher it was like funny because I was like people would be seeing my faces and things just because of Dion and my friend Dion would be taking photos of me and stuff like that but it was like I was a teacher like I was just doing these random shoots and stuff with her um and I think it was just like this you know the people just being like yo do this like you should do it and I was just like okay if I'm going to do it, I have to, I have to do it right. You know? And that was the thing. It was just like, if I'm going to do this, then it has to look really good. It has to actually be more about Shay. Cause it was just like, I don't care about beauty enough to start a brand directly just about beauty. It has to be more than that. Right. And for me, it was like, right. it's Ganyan. You can, I just saw the thing as like a bigger of like, okay, this name, Hana Hana can mean so much. 
you know, it was about smooth and confident. And it was like, shame doesn't really make you confident, but you feel confident when you look good. But what other things make you feel confident? What makes you feel smooth? And like, I mean, Hana Hana literally means malleable, something that's flowing, you know? And it's like, that's how I see mm. the brand of like, it's about how can we flow between this mission of being a clean skincare and wellness brand that is looking at how you create sustainable paths from literally the producer to the consumer. So like, what can we do in that scape? There's so much room that you can create between the producers and your consumers from storytelling. And that's what we started with, right? Um, access to healthcare on one side. So that means giving access to healthcare to the producers, but letting people know, which means that they're learning about how people don't have access to healthcare, how they can actually like, help that, you know, how they can donate or work with that or see what's going on, the transparency aspect. Um, obviously making good products <laughs> for our consumers and people that love the product and want to learn about it and just like learning more about that experience, learning about the women behind it, you know. I just wanted it to kind of be this brand that actually said what the name was. Like, kind of, and I guess you see that now, like, because <laughs> it was just like, I'm doing all these things and we say we're supposed to be doing this, but we're not. So like, if I'm going to be a brand that says I'm doing something, I'm going to do it. Like, I didn't want to be like, I'm going to give 5% back because I was like, I'm not about to get 5% right. back. Like, I don't know how you expect me to look at money coming into me and then like take that out at a time when I was a teacher making under 42 and then starting a business, putting all my money into it. It was like, I can't do that. Right. But what I can do is that automatically budget in my head, whatever that the women are asking me that price for, I'm just going to times it by two. Like that's what we're going to do. I'm just going to times it by two because that just makes way more sense. Wow. We're going to get the money right away. Um, and that means like whatever, like, wouldn't you love if, like, whatever you said to someone, you're like, nope, we're, we're going to times it by two. <laughs> like, that would be perfect because that times by two doesn't really take too much away from Hanana. It makes so much more of an effect for the women that want that. Like, that's a pay, you know? Like, the currency is different. Right. Like, we have to be, like, understanding. And that's why I tell people, it's like, I'm not doing anything, like, so crazy, like, I really don't think it is. It's just that I've taken this time to build this foundation that now that we are at this spurt of where we're growing and all these types of stuff, it's like, well, we already built this like foundation that's about making sure that we're creating sustainable paths and we're paying people at this rate. And it's like, if we could have been right. able to do that when we didn't have money like that, now it's just like, oh, shoot, like, this is amazing. Like, I can buy a ton of right. shade and that means... I'm still paying it at two times the rate, you know, like I'm still doing right. those things. So it was, it was just one of these, like, if I'm going to do it, it has to be good, you know? And as I kept learning and growing, right. it's just like, how can I create this business to really grow and scale? And cause it's like, you scale in sales, you scale in impact. That's how our model has been focused. Right. So. Well, and it, and it's, it sounds like, a brand that's really a complete 360 degree brand where yeah. you not only have compelling uh, a compelling product that works but also have a real relationship 
to not only the pickers but the producers and uh and and it's a sustainable relationship because you're giving them more than the industry standard and um and then there's the storytelling element you know i think i think what you were saying about um uh the what was it the like the 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 what what was the machine that you were oh, trying the to yeah. the kneading machine you know like telling a compelling story of wh- why that kneading machine is important or like or what one can do to help impact the the healthcare of a group of people i mean there you can you can throw up a gofundme or you can tell a compelling story and yeah. and and kind of showcase who they are and and sometimes i mean i always get i always get um like a little weary about things like that because i'm just so protective of our images and our stories you yes. know and yes. and there's so much of like pain and trauma porn that people get off on so you know much, so um much so much and and so it's like how how do you tell the story and and honor honor you know honor their stories and uh, and honor where they are in in that moment in time while also protecting them from a gaze that is sometimes uh or oftentimes really predatory and yeah. and unreasonable you know it's like if if you want to help then then you just kind of jump into action it doesn't need to be teased in this way where you know where folks have to be dehumanized just so that you feel like your heartstrings are you know compelled enough to to you know to do something no you're right and that's i mean for us and that's that was my thing is like i'm not these women are like I met these women. I know Samantha. I when I, I'm greeting Samantha, I'm greeting Amanatu. Like we're we're talking to each other. We're, we've in the past few years we've learned and like talked to each other and grown a relationship, right? Mm-hmm. So, and those are just some of the women. And it's just like the first time I took pictures, those women got those photos back. They got like every time they've been in a bon appetit or um, like you know from the. I don't know any of the places in press that has ever published any story about Hannah Hannah where the women's pictures are in. They've received that. The the question that I ask all of my guests um, uh, at the end of our conversation is: when you kind of reflect back on your life, what what thus far you're young, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> um, but like what what lessons um, did you? know at some point in your life that you were just really confident about that you've had to unlearn? Ooh, yeah, okay. Hmm. I think this, like, unlearning of, like, limitation to, like, abundance of things, right? Like, this unlearning Mm. of, like, not saying that you want to be rich, (laughs) like, or to be wealthy or to be comfortable. Like, you know, that has been something that I've had to unlearn. Um, And I continue to keep unlearning in different ways. But I think the the first time being able, like, to learn about, like, being told or reading, I think it was in a book about, like, it's okay to say you want to be rich when you know why you want to be. And I needed to learn that when I started Hana Hana because 
think like, I just felt like it's okay. I don't need to ask for money. It's okay if I don't get money for this or that I want to have money or like, it's okay to stay small, you know? Um, and not right. think about being like a bigger brand or like thinking like, Oh, I want to be in everyone's house. Like if you asked me that in Hana, like when I started Hana Hana, I would have not said that at all. Um, so it's like this unlearning and understanding how like your abundance is not limited, you know, and you yourself should not mm. live in the abundance you can receive, you know? And like, it starts with actually saying that you deserve it, you know, like just like, saying it and thinking right. it because a lot of us we might say something like oh yeah i want to be rich but you're you're probably creating some agreements in your head that's like oh, I'm not say that but it's like if you want to be wealthy because you want to actually impact people positively and do things and you're going to keep checking yourself to make sure you are doing what you say then why not like not only should you do that, you should explain exactly how and you should figure out exactly how you can do it. You should, you know, all those things. So I think right. that's been a big thing for me that I've learned that has really helped me thrive with seeing a bigger picture for Hannah Hannah. Um, and that's through like a lot of mentorship and definitely reading too, but like mentorship, <laughs> a lot of meditation, you know, <laughs> like doing mm-hmm. this, just like learning from that and just looking at this, like, you know, a wider lens of what, what does it really mean of manifestation? But what does it also really mean of like choice? Like the cho- the authority we have of, you know, choosing something um, and also right, choosing right. mindset even, you know? So. Right. And, and ultimately that's, that's what money is. It's, it's like, um, yeah, it's an, it's an energy. And I think when you are a person that is in a capitalistic structure and you see how exploitative it can be, you uh, just naturally repel that, you know, exactly. and, and you see getting money as, as, as like somehow, I wouldn't say selling out, but, but more like uh, agreeing with the system mm-hmm. that, feeling like you are being complicit in that system that's exploitative and, and, and just kind of extractive. But, um, yeah, I think, I think there's something to be said about knowing why you want a certain energy and what, what your purpose with that energy is and how it's, it's 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 just it's just an energy just like anything else is and and knowing how to use any kind of energy is always something that you know we we should want to we should want to get better at and i i like i like getting to a place in our own evolution where we're honest about the things that we want you know and we're yeah. not playing small and you know can can you just imagine like having I mean, obviously you can imagine this, but like how how compelling it is to have Hana Hana products, something that you said earlier in our conversation where there's like 70% of the products have shea butter, but ha- like how many of those companies are black owned and black woman owned? I would, I would venture to say probably less than one handful. Um, very few I'm, I'm, I'm assuming. And, and so it's, to see to to imagine a reality where there are hundred hundred products in every household is just so freaking exciting and right? and what a you know what a beautiful homage to your parents and the confidence that they instilled in you and your brother yeah. um 
it just seems like, uh, you know, Hanahan is on its way. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank, Thank you. you so much for making <laughs> some time to chat with me. Of course. It was really lovely. <laughs> chatting with you thank you so much I was like I was like wow I haven't really dived into this in that type of way for a, a while but it's been really exciting to just like talk to you about it so thank you for just creating this platform and like continuously like you've been supporting Hanahana from day one um <laughs> like what I feel like we were both doing fundraisings together and you're like right. different tips right. and things to do so I'm forever grateful um well, likewise. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, it's just been, it's just so important to, we have like a, we have a, a culture that's like celebrity obsessed. And for me, there are like so many people that are out there that are doing really compelling work. And I, you know, part of the the joy and kind of passion and purpose of my life is being able to spotlight and 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 tell tell stories and and create space for people to tell their own stories rather um uh, and 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 hopefully as they do that it kind of illuminates for someone that's out there feeling alone in 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 the world coming across resistant energy and and saying like oh wait you know i just heard that thing and 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 there's something that, you know, someone said the other day or that week about X or Y, whatever, that that that's going to give me permission to kind of make a shift. So I, I appreciate you being so generous uh, and sharing your story. I am sure there are people out there that are going to be really inspired. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.